and you think you don't want i don't want to i don't want to mow the lawn when it's it's all wet and uh yeah just get a garden to do it and then <laughs> yeah. welcome to the irish pod where martin sfp bryant and tom darnell talk about lawn care um what we are actually here to talk about uh, martin is all things startups your world of uh insight into the the journey the excitement the pitfalls the stress of the journey and all of your writings about that and you've just launched pre-seed now so why don't you tell us about yourself you know what your career has been about and what you've launched with pre-seed now sure yeah so uh, i uh, have been a tech journalist for 13 years now um something i kind of fell into because uh, i just like blogging and i was in a job where there was no way out of it really in terms of promotion so it's like well what, what do i do how do i i know i'll blog during my lunch break and that ended up taking him into, into the tech world and uh the whole world of startups i became the editor-in-chief of a site called the next web and uh, then after that thought want to do something a bit different started working directly with tech startups uh, around their, their communication the way they describe what they do, uh, the way they communicate both internally and externally, because uh, I think sometimes the internal messaging is something that is neglected by a lot of startups, uh, and it can be an important thing to, as you grow, keeping everyone uh, cohesive. Um, and then I just had this urge to write about early stage startups and to find and profile interesting companies. but. If you look at the tech press generally, they don't cover these early, early, early stage companies. That, you know, uh, it tends to be when they've got a decent amount of funding, um, you know, maybe a, a few million pound seed round or something. Uh, that's when they start to become something that um, journalists will pay attention to. So I thought there's, there's got to be a way of covering that. And uh, I started talking to some more people and realized that it's actually a, a, a need for a publication that highlights all of these companies because uh, it can take a long time sometimes if you're uh, a very early stage company um, with a new technology, uh, it can take a long time to raise that first few hundred thousand pounds, for example, um, because you might find a lead investor, but then bringing in angels to put some extra cash in there uh, can take a while. And so somewhere that profiles and, and sets out something beyond just what's in a deck uh, and allows people, investors and other people who work with early stage startups to discover companies outside their network uh, seemed like a good idea. So uh, I launched Preseed now uh, recently and uh, yeah, it's going well. Each edition of the newsletter profiles a different company, uh, tend to be B2B or deep tech. And uh, yeah, it's, it, uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing it and the reaction's been really good. So uh, yeah, all, all, um, all rockets forward or whatever, yeah, with it, yeah. The, um you know, we've been on this journey and, you know, we launched this company, <laughs> Iris, four weeks before uh, <laughs> lockdown kicked mm. in and, you know, press and, and coverage of, you know, whatever nature can sometimes really, you know, be the, the lifeblood. And, and you're right, I think, you know, that earlier stage is quite hard to get cut through. Um, just as a bit of fun, what, what was the company that, that you saw that's taken off that you didn't expect to? So taking off, I didn't expect to. Oh, that, that you, you've, you've kind of, because uh, you know, uh, it's one of those things where, where you write about, because uh, when I was at the next web, I wrote about so many different companies and thinking back to, oh, I never expected them to, um, but they did. It, it's actually quite difficult because um, you, 
your brain just fills with all these companies and mapping yeah. them out is going to be difficult. So I'm not sure, actually. Um, I, I remember um, uh, meeting a company um, called um, Anavo very early, and uh, they had a really interesting product, uh, product and uh, that was uh, to kind of uh, keep your battery on your phone um, uh, effective by, uh, you know, keeping track of which apps were running and that kind of thing and they had like a, a vpn for making your using less data all that kind of thing and um facebook bought them and because um, i thought it was a really interesting product but uh they ended up um you know um sadly having a bit of a, a notorious time because uh, they um uh they ended up um uh, being uh, the tech that Facebook used to find out which companies to buy because um, oh, really? uh, because they were running on people's phones so they could see ah oh, that social app is rising I see uh, th they could be competition we better try and buy them before they get too big um, so uh, so that became quite a controversial thing which uh, when we, when I first discovered them well, I didn't discover them I think I got introduced to them but when I got introduced to them I was like wow they're fantastic um, and what a great product and it's interesting to see how sometimes um this is a great utility can turn into something different yeah it's it's interesting you know i guess as you set out on a journey with a, with a startup what's your goal are you building you know a legacy are you doing this for for an exit you know that's defined in you know a few few years you pivot along the way or are you you know building something huge that you want to have unicorn potential <laughs> um and i guess that journey changes when when offers or acquisitions get dangled in front of you you might not have yeah. seen your pathway being to a quick exit but you ultimately build value quickly and then someone dangles a carrot and off you go yeah well that's the thing when you when you've got external investors the uh the motivation can change uh, just because it has to because the the investors want to return and so you can start a company with all the best intentions in the world but uh, once they have a say um and uh, the need to deliver uh, something on that investment uh, can uh, pressure founders into taking things in in a way that they didn't originally anticipate. Yeah, we'll we'll get to the the storytelling bit in a second, but be before we go back to that step, in terms of your uh, insights on what good funding looks like for early stage companies, what what can you tell people that might be tuning in here? You know, is there a right way or wrong way to approach it? Is the first offer of cash you know, the one to jump to, or do you want to be slightly more strategic about things? Um, definitely don't jump to the first, I mean, it depends how desperate you are, I suppose, but uh, definitely, generally, it's not a good idea to just, uh, somebody offers you some money and just go with it because uh, there are some pretty awful investors out there who will set some terrible terms. So one important thing is to do your research, find out, do read around, read multiple sources about, you know, advice about fundraising because, um, terms that you can get from some investors who might be keen to invest uh, can make it very difficult, for example, to get later investment because the motivations for that, that investor might be a very quick exit and they don't want you to bring on more investors and dilute their stake in the company, for example. Um, so they might set terms that kill your ability to grow the company. And I've, I've seen startups end up um, closing down because of that or having to go through a really painful legal process uh, because they, they got into some terrible terms early on. Um, uh, and uh, another piece of advice, having seen recently um, a founder kind of throw himself at the feet of, a, of an investor, um, uh, not you know, 
by email, it wasn't literal, but um, uh, in the words that he used um, to uh, this investor, um, I was like, no, 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 hold back a little bit. You know, <laughs> seemed like so, <laughs> a bit like dating. If, you, if you're going to date, you don't want to necessarily appear desperate. Um, you want to kind of seem a bit more, you know, <laughs> something that they'll want. Um, so, uh, so uh, you know, holding back a little bit and uh, see, seeming like you, you've got options is a bit better than uh, than diving in there and, and looking desperate. So, uh, yeah, it is a bit like I mean, I've seen that uh, that uh, comparison quite a lot in the past. Uh, you know, it's a bit like dating, uh, but with uh, massive uh, checks attached to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it's uh, you know we're in a fortuitous position here, at Iris, with a with a strong you know passionate and, and visionary pool of investors that yeah. believe in our journey. Uh, but it's definitely been, it's definitely good to have the luxury of choice yeah. uh, when you're on, when you're on this side of things and, and finding your, your people that believe in your journey is definitely crucial. So definitely support that advice. Of course, it all starts with the story and that's mm. your proposition um, <laughs> that you offer or, or have offered up to, yeah. to companies. So how do companies get that right? What What's a, a strong framework for, for messaging, you know, you said at the top of this, it's more than just a, a deck of slides, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, well, first of all, it's amazing how many companies don't have a very simple idea of what it is they do and why. Um, they can often talk endlessly about their product um, and their business model and all of that. But if you try and boil it down to a sentence or two sentences, they often can't come up with a compelling, what I call a micro pitch. And so a lot of the time where I, where I start with a company is this micro pitch. It's how can you describe yourself in one sentence or at a maximum two sentences that work everywhere that you can stick in your head and then it's always there um, no matter who you talk to, whether it's an investor, a customer, um, someone you meet at a, a networking breakfast, someone you meet in the pub at 11 o'clock at night, doesn't matter wherever you are, whatever context, uh, they say, what do you do? You can very easily come up with a one or two sentence compelling um, proposition for yourself that um, sets you apart from everything else. And people go, ah, that's what you do. And it's amazing how many companies struggle with that or don't even think about that as being important. So um, one thing I've done with a lot of companies is sit down and you, you a lot of the time you, you ask them to write out um, for as long as it takes, you know, um, it could be a paragraph, it could be a, a page, um, what makes them unique, you know, what they offer. Um, you, alarm bells ring when they can't do that. Um, I have had some companies that um, have actually found the process valuable because they've realized that they haven't even figured out properly what they are as a business yet. And they've said, thanks for that. We'll come back to you, but right now we're going to go, go back, right back to the drawing board, <laughs> which is amazing. But um, but uh, yeah, you start with that and then you slowly whittle it down. Um, uh, you say, well, what, what are the most important things here until you've got two or three sentences? And then how do you turn that into a snappy one or two sentence, uh, tiny little micro pitch, like I say, that you can remember and you can reel off. And it doesn't say everything. Uh, you, obviously, people might ask questions. Um, a lawyer might ask different questions to an investor, might ask different questions to a customer, but it's like a universal introduction to your company. Yeah. I'm thinking back to about 30 minutes ago when we first met and I was giving you the spiel about what Iris does. And I'm now um, feeling quite embarrassed that that took more than <laughs> more than uh, 10 seconds. We're going to work on that. <laughs> I think we've got a very strong handle on what we're doing. I think um, the, br the brand, you know, that sits above it is obviously important. Uh, talked about, talk about that internal piece as well, because mm. obviously that external piece is so yeah. important, but you need to galvanize your troops. You need to get your, 
your team, you know, really on that on that journey um, is is probably even more important, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, in fact, I was talking to uh, a founder for Preseed now um, just uh, earlier, actually. Um, uh, in fact, I was writing it up this morning, and um, he uh, is raising his first money, but he's very on top of this. He 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 very much realizes um, uh, this is this is an issue because um, uh, he. Uh, is saying as he grows the company, one thing he's very mindful of is the fact that as you bring in, say, middle managers uh, who are maybe, uh, or sales managers, for example, who are motivated by, they've not, they weren't there at the start of the company uh, and they're motivated by targets that have been set for them personally, uh, which maybe there's a, a bonus or a promotion attached to achieving particular things. So they're not thinking about the overall company. They're thinking about what, what do I have to do to achieve this? And um, you look at a company um, like, Facebook, for example, which has had a lot of controversy recently, a lot of um, the issues around some of the things they've been doing um, have been around the motivations of the of the staff because they're motivated to achieve sales targets, which means that they're they're pushed to do things that are maybe bad PR for the company. But because it's such an enormous company, that th those kind of things never really get um, uh, get up to the top where it might be dealt with in if with a certain kind of leader, um, and so you've got to instill this sense of message and purpose right through the company. And it's difficult. And the bigger the company gets, the harder it gets, which is why you have, you know, company songs and, uh, you know. Company song? Well, I'm thinking that's, wow. probably, that's probably Japan no. maybe, but you, know, like, <laughs> uh, you, you have all sorts of, maybe more companies should, you know, you get up in the morning and you all arrive in the office and you all sing a song. Maybe I've that, seen like, like, a hundred like, light bulbs yeah. go off on the <laughs> company song is what like, we're going to do. Like, like, like assembly at school or something. But um, uh, you, uh, yeah, you, you know, or you have like slogans on, uh, on uh, posters around, around the, the, the uh, office and things. And really it has to be it has to be more fundamental than that it has to be instilled in people's heads so and a good way to start that and you know i'm not professing to be an expert in mass scale corporate communications here but certainly as you're growing a a small start startup into a a larger startup going from a three person team to a 10 person team to a 20 person team keeping that um that micro pitch, that same micro pitch, yeah, you know, that same sense of identity and there might be a few more details you put into that uh, specific to internally but keeping that as the core mission whatever you know a salesperson might be uh might be uh you know tasked with achieving for the company a certain number of uh, sales for example making sure that whatever they do it isn't breaking away from that core message because once you once you've got that core purpose and that core strategy and that core message of what you're doing um that helps tie everything together and uh Certainly from a, a PR point of view and from a, a public perception point of view, um, a lot of the problems come when companies forget that mm. and um, their messaging just becomes like a gloss on top of what they're doing. And really underneath it's like, let's just do all the worst things we can possibly do. And some companies are like that, but I think most decent founders would say that that's not a direction they want to go down. So uh, yeah, keeping everyone on the same path is important. I think I think it's even more of a acute focal point for business leaders, founders that are starting companies now. You know, they they care more about sustainability, about culture, about diversity, inclusivity, all of these things. Um, I saw this done really, really well actually by Salesforce. Um, uh, went to Dreamforce, their big conference a, a few years ago, and there was a talk on on doing exactly this. And they have a card 
And on one side is the micro pitch for Salesforce. Uh, and their philosophy was, well, everyone's a salesperson for Salesforce. Um, you could be the IT person or whatever. And on the flip side of the card was the relevance of the micro pitch in the context of their role within the company. And it was, you know, very, very snappy, very, 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 very short. And I, I really liked it because um, it, it gives everyone a purpose of you're here to drive value for the company, I suppose, even if you're admining a, an IT system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the world we're in now, are you seeing any trends in terms of emerging technologies um, that companies are really focusing on building? What What is the direction of of tech startup land right now? Yeah, so in terms of things that will help uh, with communication, I think that, um, and our emerging technologies, I think that uh, the big one is clearly um, kind of VR and mixed reality and augmented reality, which are starting to turn into something more than a buzzword and some novelty apps. They're starting to turn into something that's a bit more um, tangible. Uh, you've got, in the next couple of years, we're gonna see uh, headsets and glasses and things from companies like Meta, um, uh, Apple, Google, Snap. Uh, they're all working on uh, hardware in this field, uh, which is going to be a long way from what we saw with, say, Google Glass uh, a good few years ago now, or, you know, the, the even the VR headsets we see today um, that you can, you can buy. Um, and uh, if you're looking at kind of collaboration and um, communication in a world where people aren't necessarily working in the same room anymore, um, uh, yeah, I, I went to a meeting this morning and I actually arranged it on the train. And uh, I said to them, um, well, if you're in the office, I'll, I'll, I'll come in, uh, fully expecting them to be working from home and, uh, you know, thinking they, they won't be in the office. Why would they be in the office? And, and they were by chance. Um, but um, uh, yeah, uh, the idea that uh, everyone's in the office um, is, is less of uh, a given these days. And um, so ways to provide... Um, uh, ways to counter the argument that a lot of the naysayers about distributed working have, which is like, oh, you, you can't do collaboration if you're not in the same room, which I'm sorry, but I used to manage a team right around the world from San Francisco to Beijing at one point. And sometimes you would get someone from Amsterdam and someone in New York collaborating in an article and it would be brilliant. And they they were collaborating in real time either text based maybe on a call but probably text based and it would be brilliant and so the idea that uh, you can't collaborate unless you're in the same room is silly but for the naysayers and to provide more opportunities for creativity uh and a physicality to creativity uh, there are some brilliant opportunities around if you look at what Meta is doing around sort of its uh, uh, horizon tech around work collaboration, for example, um, and uh, the idea that you create these uh, working environments where people can meet together and you can see them moving and you can uh, collaborate on a whiteboard or you can, uh, I don't know, maybe you can move blocks around and whatever you want to do to to uh, to collaborate in a way that is beyond just a, a chat box um, or, a, or a boring video call that uh, you know adds a bit more interest to it. Um, th there's a lot there uh, that's coming, um, not that far away. Uh, some of it can be done now. Uh, and I think that, uh, yeah, um, there's some, some good opportunities that uh, will help move this whole um, distributed working thing ever forward. Do you, 
talking kind of specifically about what we're doing, do you think, how important do you see audio as part of that? Um, you know, certainly the advancements are, are always kind of focused on the visual and now the interactivity. Do you see audio as quite often a forgotten component? Yeah, yeah, it often is. I mean, I think about like videos, for example, when I, you know, I did a broadcasting degree and um, with a plan to go into television and it didn't quite happen, but I wasn't bothered by that particularly, but uh, uh, I've, I still make videos to this day. And um, I suppose as we all do these days, but um, one thing that is often the case is that the quality of the video is less important than the quality of the sound. If you've got the quality of the sound spot on, then people will forgive a lot more about what they're seeing. If you have perfect, um, you know, uh, my kids watch YouTube videos a lot. Uh, they, they discovered YouTube a while ago and um, uh, yeah, they're, they're young kids and there's so much YouTube content aimed at young kids. And uh, you sometimes see these videos where uh, families do their own like YouTube channels and they-, they my, niece, at, my niece and yeah. nephew are into these. They, yeah. they must make a fortune because they get millions of views yeah, like, yeah. just made at home. But, um, and, and they're often really, really wealthy families with enormous houses. But, um, and you can tell because <laughs> sometimes the sound quality is terrible. And like, there's this massive reverb on what they're, you know, it's horrible. And you can't hear what they're saying half the time. It's like, you've got this great quality camera, you know, you're, you're probably shooting in 4K. And then you've got like this echoey sound that is, uh, is, is just distracting. And so, yeah, uh, audio is often a really forgotten point in uh, in media yeah yeah i think so i mean it's our observation and all of these solutions that you talk of we see the same we see this trend towards uh, i think we're probably going to find a bit of a balance in terms of returning to the office like your meeting today i think there's something pure and organic about yeah. that face-to-face. -face. We're still going to get on planes sometimes yeah. and go to meetings, but it's certainly going to be in a hybrid fashion. Um, we certainly identify that the audio is is a missing component. And if we can improve that and the environment from a sound perspective, we're going to be more productive. We're going to be more engaged. We're going to be more present yeah. in doing productive things. Um, Metaverse. We were out at South by Southwest recently, South by as they call it. <laughs> trying to be cooler about it. The metaverse was the buzzword. And then you scratch beneath and you kind of said we're moving beyond or starting to move beyond the novelty factor. I found it deeply lacking a lot of what was talked about. Um, you know, nonsense about, you know, employee collaboration where you create your avatar and then you do a little dance routine for <laughs> your, you know, your new people that you're going to be working with. And the real substance of it was massively lacking. Do yeah. you think that's? Do you, think, do you see that being addressed? Yeah. Well, I think so. Yeah. Uh, I think that um, if you look at um, what goes on at South by Southwest generally, um, it, it's it. A lot of it is kind of um, big brands and agencies um, wanting to show off things that people will talk about. It's not necessarily how things turn out. And um, I think once people uh, these things get in the hands of people, um, uh, it'll. Uh, it'll shake itself out uh, and, and fi find useful avenues. Um, I do think the word metaverse uh, will be tired and retired before uh, much of this has significant cut through. Thank uh, God. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 it, metaverse has only really been, it's, it's amazing, you know, everyone thinks about it now, but it was only like, autumn 2021 i think when uh, when meta rebranded well facebook rebranded as meta and started using this term metaverse uh, everywhere that uh, it really became part of common parlance and 
it's it doesn't really mean a lot. Um, even Meta itself is struggling to communicate what the metaverse is. Uh, Nick Clegg, who is the number three at um, uh, Meta these days, he recently published an 8,000 word essay about the metaverse. And I was like, thinking back to the, the micro pitch thing, um, you know, do you really need to? Do you really need eight thousand words to say what you're going to do with metaverse? Why can't you say it in two sentences? Um, so, and it, a lot of it feels like hype and buzz for hey, we're we're still relevant. We're going to be doing something new. Um, so, I think that's why it's far more useful to think of it as kind of mixed reality experiences and um, VR and AR, um, which are technologies that people are generally somewhat familiar with and um, it's just those getting better and the idea of a metaverse is that they'll all link together and uh, create a kind of um, almost tangible internet that you can kind of physically walk around um, but you know maybe that'll maybe that'll arrive but we don't need that yeah so um, yeah you're 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 a great simplifier of things aren't you because <laughs> you, 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 you I, I you know I get a bit bombuzzled I'm a big fan of just not accepting kind of buzzword and nonsense kind of it's like what is it you're, you're a big you're you're you've said it a number of times like, <laughs> distill it two sentences yeah. for me. Is, yeah. is that a consistent theme in the way that you approach things if you if you can't distill it into this uh, the essence of it then it's probably yeah. too complicated yeah absolutely like uh, you know things need to be simple um, and uh, people are far too keen to throw too many buzzwords into things because they want to seem smart and they want to seem intelligent and ahead of the pack and uh, it's you know if, if, if you look at um, another thing that uh, is constantly talked about in tech is web three which is just a rebranding uh, I suppose it's a simplified rebranding of blockchain and cryptocurrencies into something that uh, is supposedly more inspiring um, but uh, yeah you know, if you if you look look past all that you find this complex world of uh, really technical terms and things which isn't really ready for public consumption yet um, and uh, so this idea that um, everyone's going to move into this web three world um, I think is is far too too um, uh, presumptive that it's all going to mature in the way people expect it to, because uh, so much of it is so early stage. But because there's money to be made in it through cryptocurrencies right now, there's this urge to push it forward as the next big thing. But you can't simplify a lot of that stuff down, um, both linguistically and in terms of just the processes of it. Um, uh, when um, uh, a guy I work with uh, quite a lot, um, he's a social media consultant, he um, uh, recently um, tried to set up uh, an NFT um, profile picture uh, for Twitter and ended up giving up because it was so complicated for someone who wasn't into that world. Um, so simplicity is, is, and I don't think any of that technology will really break through until it's as simple as what it's hoping to replace yeah i saw a funny meme actually while i was at south by southwest and it said uh cryptos a casino masquerading as a financial system <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well that's that, yeah that's essentially it these days isn't it <laughs> that, that that's mainly what it is and um yeah you see people who are passionate about it really passionate about it yeah. but largely it's because of the opportunity and there are so few opportunities for especially young people um, breaking into kind of adult life and looking to make uh, money in the world. There are so few ways of doing that now um, because the system has been stacked against people so much that they're going for cryptocurrency as a basically get rich quick um, yeah. scheme. And 
you can get very rich very quickly with it, but the risks are enormous. And if you don't know what you're doing, which most people probably don't, um, yeah, you, you can certainly lose a lot as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, who are your ones to watch? What, what are your kind of uh, top technologies or top people in the, the space of, of tech, maybe out of you know, the, the many people that you've interviewed of, of uh, high stature and notoriety, you know, who, who can people that might be watching this kind of tune into for other advice and angles? Other advice and angles. Um, well, um, certainly, I mean, the person I mentioned before, uh, if you, if you, if you, if you, anywhere in terms of social media, you know, any interest in social media whatsoever, then uh, the guy, uh, Matt Navarra, uh, I work with him on his newsletter, Geek Out, uh, really smart guy, very accessible as well uh, around social media stuff. So um, uh, def definitely pay attention to him. Um, I'd say uh, my my world really is like the early stage startup. So and um, who's who's moving forward with really interesting things there. And I just get excited by discovering a startup that's doing something like, wow, I'd never even thought about that. And the first company I covered in uh, Pre-Seed Now was um, called Untap. They're a London-based um, startup and they have a box which sits in, uh, you, you will not expect what I'm gonna say here. It sits in the sewage pipe out of your building and measures the the built the water out wastewater out of the building for COVID nineteen, and so really? people managing a building can tell roughly how many people within the building uh, have COVID at the moment, and wow, uh, and so they're, they're bringing that to market at the moment, and uh, with the aim of adding other. Um, pathogens, you know, flu and other things as well um, uh, to that. Uh, so just the idea that understanding illness will be in a very and managing illness within a work environment or a, a care home or a hospital or uh, wherever um, could be very different in the future just through measuring wastewater um, in a in a real-time internet internet connected way um, or almost real-time um, is is fascinating so uh, you know those are the kinds of things that get me excited yeah and uh, yeah what, what what other ones are in your list? I'm fascinated now. G yeah. Give me give me another one. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, another company I wrote about recently um, is building. Uh, they they do something called neuromorphic computing, and uh, so they're developing chips uh, for computing uh, for doing AI, but that are modeled on the way the human brain works. So at the moment, you know, the the chip in your computer, for example, or your phone, is designed in a very different way to the human brain. But the idea is, if we're going to have AI that works like a human uh you know and uh, and thinks like a human and has diff very different capabilities to the computing we have now one way of doing that is to model it on the human brain and so this whole field of neuromorphic computing at the moment which uh, uh could help if it breaks through as the company's doing it hope uh could break through in a really interesting way uh, and um uh, could help ai achieve a lot more because um, there's um, a big market for computers and servers that are devoted entirely to AI. Um, and uh, so having chips that can do that in a, in a smarter way is really interesting. So uh, I just thought that was fascinating. Uh, yeah. Where do you stand on the on the Neuralink uh, project <laughs> that, that obviously Elon Musk yeah. is, is building? It, it kind of intrigues me and also terrifies me at the same time. Yeah, I, th I think we're going there. So this is the uh, thing where basically your, your brain is internet connected, essentially. Um, and yeah, the idea that in however long from now, probably probably a lot longer than Elon Musk would tell you, because um, he's a, a, a chronic um, 
overpromiser. Um, uh, you know, uh, any, anyone who's uh, uh, who's got a Tesla and was waiting for their full self-driving um, capability to arrive can probably attest to that. Uh, but um, uh, he, not me, by the way, but uh, uh, but uh, you know, um, I, I know plenty of people who are enthusiastic Tesla owners and uh, looking forward to their self-driving thing. And it, 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 he keeps saying it's coming and it's not coming. But um, yeah, um, the idea that you, the internet, um, that, that, for example, rather than looking at a phone and saying, um, how do I walk from Oxford Circus to, I don't know, um, Hyde Park, um, uh, for example, um, just you just think it and the directions would magically you can just know how to get there uh, it seems if you look at all the the leap of human progress in the last even the last 20 years um certainly last century it seems perfectly possible that we can get there um i think there are maybe some concerns around how we get there um and uh certainly you know it, it Maybe you know, uh, is the way Neuralink is doing it? Is it is it fair on the animals, for example, they're working with um, mm. uh, that kind of thing? So it, it's uh, you know there are lots of concerns around that, but um, uh, it seems likely that eventually this idea that humans will be almost you know will be kind of bionic. Um, yeah, I, I think I think yeah, certainly we, we, we'll get there eventually. I think for some use case, you know, if you've got some sort of spinal thing or you know um, some other kind of neurological. Uh, disease or factors, you know, yeah. starting there. I, I heard him speak about it, and, and he, they were starting in those places, yes. which feels like a very good use of technology. Absolutely, yeah. But on the flip side of that, is always those, those kind of less altruistic um, yeah. uses of technology that can be quite, quite terrifying. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, well, he, 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 um, you know, as we're recording this, wants to own Twitter, um, and uh, the idea of um, a a billionaire controlling such a uh, having singular control pretty much over a um uh, over such an important communication method when people are out there criticizing him on it and uh, he's been known for you know a blogger wrote about tesla once and he uh, um he, he uh, and said something mean about tesla that he, that he thought was unfair and he cancelled their tesla order um so you know uh, it, he's he's not necessarily um particularly open to criticism um and so uh yeah um just that power and uh uh can you imagine if elon musk could uh, could uh, put messages into your brain like yeah yeah and even if, he, even if he didn't just the the thought that that power could be there is, yeah. is pretty terrifying yeah yeah it really is um we, we've been we've we got to wrap up soon um i could talk for for, <laughs> for a lot longer on all of these subjects um but before we do wrap up startups are hard the challenges are hard the you know the way that you have to build and galvanize a team is challenging um this new world opens up opportunities to build virtual teams but also presents barriers in terms of collaboration and that daily hustle to get it done what are your top productivity tool recommendations to get work done yeah. with pace agility yeah you will probably not be surprised uh, that i like to keep it simple um so i don't i'm not one of these productivity um fetishists i know some people who they're scouring product hunt every day which is a website where you can see all the latest we're um, on it yeah we launched right, our product on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so um uh you look through it and you can see what's new that day, the new apps and things that have launched and they'll scour it every day looking for something that will be the tool that will make them more productive. Um, I think if you're doing that, 
that's probably killing your productivity because <laughs> really you're just focused on getting the work done. So I keep things very simple. I use Google Keep, um, which is Google's note-taking app um, because it's available on all platforms. I can use it in a web browser, on my desktop computer. I can use it on my phone. If I change between an Android and an iPhone, it, it's on both of those, on my tablet, wherever I need it. And um, obviously I use it for you know making notes at meetings and things, but I have a note pinned at the top, which has Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday on it. And each day, Obviously, I'll write in, oh, I need to do achieve that this day or whatever. But when it comes to the, you know, the end of the day, let's say Tuesday, and then next it's Wednesday, I'll, at the end of the working day, I will write 9.30 a.m. Um, email, 10 a.m., write draft of article I need to write for two hours, 12 o'clock, I've got a call, 12.30, that annoying admin thing I've been meaning to do for ages, one o'clock lunch, et cetera. And I'll really kind of micromanage myself with specific times to do things. And that kind of keeps me in check and makes sure I do do them all. Um, so that's one thing that I find really um, helpful. Uh, then, uh, and sometimes, you know, I'll overstate it or I'll underestimate, but just having a guide uh, helps me you know, know how far ahead or behind I am. Um, I use Notion, which is... Uh, Big fans of Notion. Yeah, Notion's fantastic. Shout out to Diana. <laughs> Notion's fantastic. Um, uh, and uh, you can do so much with it. Um, you, can, you can publish websites with it, basically. You can... You can, you can um, yeah, I think Diana would have it make our lunch for us if, if <laughs> yeah. it did have that capability. I use it relatively simply, but just, just to have uh, a set of um, pages um, uh, that helps me keep uh, Precede Now uh, ticking along. I know you know which startups I've got to talk to. Um, I know what's going to be in the next few issues. Um, when next issue's coming up, I'll uh, have... Um, a page where I have you know, the intro has this bit in it, the, uh, the this section has this bit, this section has it, and so when it actually comes to sitting down, I just I just do it, um, and uh, I'm constantly you know through the day just dipping in there. When I have an idea, oh, I should say that in the intro of Thursday's newsletter, um, I can just quickly dip in, and then it's there when I need it. Um, so I find Notion really useful, and then Trello, which has been around for years and years and years, is great for managing multiple projects. So let's say I've got some client work, and I've got my newsletter and I've got this and that and the other, um, knowing how far along each thing is. So I have a column for in discussion, so it hasn't started yet, um, confirm future work, in progress, and then complete. And then I just move it across uh, as, it's, uh, as it gets um, gets done. And then when it's, when it's done, at the end of every month, I archive all the cards in the done column. And just the, the feeling of having archived all those cards is just like, yes. I'll write something. I'll, I'll do a task and I'll have already done it. And I still write the card and move it into done just for the cathartic. <laughs> oh, look at that. You haven't consolidated Trello into Notion? Um, no, I'm sure you can, but uh, we, yeah. we, we've we've done away with Trello because you can do the Kanban board in in, yeah. in Notion. But um, and uh, what else? Slack. Um, Slack can be, I mean, I, I don't use it personally, but uh, it, it's obviously very useful to have that kind of, uh, if you have a team, it's very much, you know, very useful to have that um, that kind of communication tool. Um, it, it's, it's interesting. I know a lot of people who try to use Slack um, beyond just workplace productivity, but for like communities. Um, but a lot of that's moved on to Discord now. Mm. So um, uh, Discord is probably less useful in a work context, but, um, but Slack, yeah, is... Uh, is great for that. Um, there's a there's a, there's one that uh, that's been around for years that I know some places um, prefer called Convo because it has um, threaded conversations. I know 
Slack does these days, but it doesn't necessarily hand, handle them as easily. And so if you're wanting to see all the conversation under a particular topic, um, having something like that, which um, I think really, you know, Facebook uh, has a workplace tool and things like that, um, having better structure than say Slack has. Slack encourages you almost to just have this flow of chat, um, which can be quite hard to navigate. You reply to a particular comment, I find mm. it, it gets hidden. Yeah. Hidden from view. Yeah. So so for years they were saying, oh, we're going to launch threads. And then they did. And it was kind of in a way that people weren't very happy with. Uh, yeah. who, who, people, the, the enthusiasts of threaded conversations weren't happy with. Uh, but it's really, it, it is really designed as a, a flow of conversation, which is great if you're looking at it regularly. But if, you, if you're away from work for a week, it's very hard to catch up. Yeah. Um, uh, Slack is an entirely, uh, you know, another channel which I ignore people's messages. So uh, <laughs> um, WhatsApp is the main way to get me. Um, <laughs> Until everyone messages you there. And I know I know someone who is messaged constantly. Uh, people from all over the world message. He's a journalist, as you might expect. He's constantly being pitched, and he's con uh, whenever I contact him, it, it's uh, you know, oh, I've moved to WhatsApp now, or I've moved to this, or I've moved to that, and then. Um, he, he stays there until it becomes unbearably uh, hard to manage, and then he just moves to the next thing. There's got to be a solution to that. There's got to be a solution. Um, Martin, thanks so much. I really enjoyed this chat. I think you know, lots of tangible advice for people that that follow the Irish pod uh, to dig into. Fascinating to talk about what you're building. Um, and, you know, I think you're a real advocate for for startups and, and the hustle that makes them <laughs> successful. Um, so thank you for spending your time. It's been a pleasure. Um, for people that want to reach out or, oh God, I can't believe I just used that term. <laughs> Edit that bit out. Um, for people that want to get in touch with you, seek your advice or work with you, where can they reach you? Uh, so you can check out preseednow.com and uh, on Twitter, I'm Martin SFP uh, or just email me, martin at preseednow.com. Thanks, Martin. Appreciate Thanks a lot. It. Cheers. Cheers.